Sammy. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, I'm ready to hear the word of God. Can you do that? It's been a while since I've been up here, so I'm trying to, I'm trying to get used to being back up here. Um, so those who went to Ecuador have recently come back. Uh, they recently came back, and one of the things that we try to do every year, uh, or every time we go on a mission trip, is to allow, uh, one of the things that our missionaries want is for our people to experience some of the, the natural beauty or some of the beauty of the, uh, the, the country that they have called home and that they long to uh, you know, they love their, their country, and so they want people to see that. And so um, w- one of the places that we often go in Ecuador is a place called Papayacta. Um, how many have been to Papayacta before? You've been to Ecuador, Papayacta? Okay, it's a, it's a um, uh, I think Papayacta is actually a volcano, <laughs> a volcano. Uh, and somewhere in that volcano, um, there are springs, right? Springs that uh, have become a tourist spot. And so people go there. There's hot springs that are warmed by the lava underneath. And so it's very relaxing after a long trip. Uh, But one of the things, one of the challenges of uh, the folks who go to Ecuador every year is that there is this really ice cold spring on top of the mountain right near the hot, hot, hot spring. And so Usually the hot spring is filled with people, but the cold spring is usually left pretty barren and, and desolate. And so I, I'm hearing stories about this year how uh, nobody went into the cold springs, but there was this one brother named KJ, and he was kind of like all by himself hanging around looking at the water, uh, but not going in. And the story goes that when everybody left, uh, he decided to go in by himself into the water. And he went in and he came out. And he was very excited about it. And then he kept on going back in, and, and then everybody started going in. And I asked people who have been there or who went in, why is it that we're so hesitant to go in? Somebody once described it like initially when you put your foot in there, people who go in knee deep, they, a lot of times they come back out because they're like, this is way too cold. When your body goes in, they say it feels like a million needles poking at your body, like ice-cold needles poking at you in every direction, and it's this painful experience that goes through your body as you walk into those icy, cold waters. And that's why people hang around looking at it, thinking, should I, should I not? Should I, should I not? Because they know that there's pain associated with entering into those waters. But the interesting thing is that as soon as they come out on the other side and they jump into the hot water, within seconds, they say, actually, I want to go back and do that again. There's something beautiful about going into those waters. I realized something about pain. Pain in short spurts is very manageable for us, isn't it? If you get a a, a needle, uh, it's just going to prick just for a second. You can do that. But if someone keeps on doing that to you, that's when it begins to hurt and it becomes malicious. And you're like, what the heck are you doing to me? But in short spurts, we can handle it. It's when that pain is prolonged that it makes it difficult. Taking a picture, right? Sitting for a picture is not very difficult. But what happens when you've been sitting for five minutes for that picture? Ten minutes for that picture. A bunch of us at our youth synod retreat had to sit for probably like 20 minutes waiting for a picture to be taken. 
and we're thinking, how long is this picture going to take? Sitting for a quick picture is no problem, but if you have to sit for a long time, it becomes quite painful and difficult to bear. People start shifting on their legs, saying, oh, my leg hurts, I'm tired, people smell, and, and it gets very frustrating. Sitting in a car for five minutes is pretty easy. For 10 minutes is pretty easy, but when you're on a road trip and you're a little child, the constant question is, how much longer do we have to go? When a short-term pain becomes a long-term problem, this is where challenges begin to happen and we begin to wonder if we're going to make it through. I've come to realize something about pain. Sometimes the worst kind of pain, a lot of times the worst kind of pain is not the most intense pain, but it's the pain that seems like it's going to last forever. Are you going through something like that today? Something that you feel like, man, I've been in this for way too long. I can understand a week of this. I can understand a month of this. I can understand a year, but two years, four years, ten years of this. And for whatever the time frame for you, if you think it's too long, then Psalm 13 is written for you. A lot of Psalms talk about hardship and difficulty, but Psalm 13 talks about not only the pain, but a prolonged kind of a pain. And what do we do? How do we survive when life throws that kind of stuff at us. We're going to look at Psalm 13 today, and I want to give hope and courage for those of us who feel like we can't make it any longer. And maybe, okay, maybe, okay, 150 people here, maybe that's only one of you. The rest of us feel like, you know what, life is going fine. Thank you very much. It's okay. I'm not in the thick of anything that I feel like I can't make it through. Maybe there's one or two. Sometimes the Lord calls us to leave the 99 to go find one lost sheep. If I tell you that as I was studying and preparing this message, this was ministering to my soul in a very deep way. And I know for anyone who feels like you've been in something for a long time, this is going to speak volumes to your soul. And I pray that we'd have ears to hear what the Spirit would say to us. Psalm 13 for the director of music, a psalm of David. This is God's word. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. This is God's word. The beginning of Psalm 13, he says, how long, O Lord? At the end of Psalm 13, he says, how great, O God. At the beginning, there's despair. But at the end, there's delight. At the beginning, there's a sighing. Oh, my God, how long do I have to go through this? At the end, they're singing. He goes from worry to worship, from pouting to praise. How? For any of you who feel like you're in this place and you've been in this place for a long time, whatever that place might be, 
How you get from how long, O God, to how great, O God, is the message from Psalm 13. The first thing that we see here, okay, we lose strength. Okay, we lose strength when our pain seems to last forever. Again, when the pain is short-lived, we can deal with that. But when it seems like it's going on forever, right, that's when we begin to lose strength and we begin to get weak and we begin to feel like we have no hope. Any of you who ever talk to people or counsel people, whether it's a friend or, or you're in, in a position of leadership or spiritual authority, you ever counsel people in pain, you've got to understand that one of the things that's going to happen is they're going to ask questions. But the mission of a counselor is to ask what kind of question are they asking? What is the underlying question? Because not all questions are the same. The majority of people, can I say, in painful situations will ask the question, why? Why is this happening? Why me? Why now? It's the worst time for this to happen. Why? 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 And when someone asks a question, why? They're looking for answers. But at the end of the day, the deepest thing that a why questioner is looking for is comfort. Why did he have to die so early? Why did she have to say that to me? Why did I get rejected from that opportunity? Okay, at the end of the day, I don't think we're really looking for answers. The reason you got rejected was because your interview stunk. You're not looking for answers. We're looking for comfort. Many times in the Psalms, the question why comes up, probably the most famous, Psalm 22.1. Jesus lifted these words off of the book of Psalms and onto his heart as he hung on the cross. My God, my God, why? Have you forsaken me? He's not looking for answers. He knows the answer is for your salvation and mine. Jesus is the Christ, the saving one. That's why. That's the answer. But Jesus was looking for comfort. When we ask the question why, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for comfort. But the question of Psalm 13 is not why. The question of Psalm 13 is how long. When someone asks why, they're looking for comfort. When someone asks how long, they're asking for strength. For endurance. I don't think I'm going to make it, is what they're saying. Have you ever felt like that recently? You ask, if you were to be honest, how long, oh God, do I have to deal with this? How long do I have to deal with this depression? How long do I have to deal with this sense that you're not here with me? How long do I have to deal with this sense of, you fill in the blank. You ever felt like that? The question that you're asking how long is a question that is longing for strength and endurance because you don't feel like you can go on because you feel like the trial has been going on for way too long. Look at verses 1 and 2. How many times does David say how long? Four times in two verses. Okay, if you say something one time, you'd be, okay, I understand. Okay, you're, a lot of us have been traveling this summer, whether by sea or by land or by air. Okay, say we're on a road trip. We're driving. You're driving, okay? You're the driver, and someone next to you says, how long until we stop? So we've only got a little bit longer. We're almost there. They're like, okay. The second time they ask the question, how long do we have to go? You say, oh, we're, we're almost at a stopping point. We're almost there. They say, okay, good, because I've got to use the bathroom. Okay? You're driving along oblivious to the fact that their bladder is about to explode. But a third time they ask the question, how much longer do we have to go? 
Right? They're saying in their heart, the third time they ask that question, they're probably saying, we've been going, this has been going on a little bit too long. And by the fourth time they ask that question, can we stop? Like how, long, how much longer do we need to go? They're at a breaking point where they feel like, they, I cannot go on any further. Okay, this is what's happening as David talks. How much longer do I have to go in this present situation? Because I don't think I can make it any longer. If you had to pray, just honestly speaking, if you had to pray a how long, O oh Lord, prayer today, what would your how long prayer be? Maybe, like I said, how long do I have to deal with this emotional instability? How long do I have to wrestle with these anxious thoughts in my head? How long until I can actually get some sleep because my mind is haunted by things that are going on? How long will I have another sleepless night because I can't get my future figured out? How long do I have to remain single? How long until these people stop bullying me? How long until my friends notice the fact that I'm hurting? How long until, how much longer do I have to deal with a sleepless child? How long, how long, how long? Let's be honest. If you had a how long prayer, what would your how long prayer be? Maybe for the majority of you, you don't feel like you've got something. Maybe this is just for a handful of people. But even so, what do we do? Because here's our reality. Our strength begins to wane when we feel like this problem, this pain is lingering forever. Look what happened with David. Verse 1, will you forget me forever? When we feel like this has been going on too long, we're going to feel like we've been forgotten by God. I talk to people like this all the time. I don't feel like God cares. I don't feel like he's there. I feel like he's abandoned me. This uh, last week, past two weeks ago, my family and I were up in South Carolina and we stopped at at, at a restaurant and we'd ordered all of our food and, you know, for food to come timely, uh, quickly is important for us because we've got three kids uh, who uh, are not very patient at this point in their lives. And so we're trying to teach them patience. All of our food comes out. They're eating their mac and cheese and Olive's eating her pasta and I'm eating my thing. And, and everything has come except for our crab cakes. We ordered crab cakes. So the guy, our server's wandering around doing this and that. And so we flag him down and Olive says, yo, yo, are crab cakes coming? She didn't say, she said, "Uh, excuse me, are crab cakes coming? (laughs) And he looks at her and he's like, I forgot to put that in. I'm so sorry. My bad, I totally forgot. And we're like, dude, we came here for crab cakes. I don't care about pasta. I don't care about mac and cheese. I can make this stuff, but I can't make crab cakes at home. That's what we came here for. But Olive said, okay, can you just cancel that order for us? And then when he left, we looked at each other like, what the heck? This is terrible. Man, our crab cakes. He he forgot our stinking crab cakes. I felt like such anguish of soul that he had forgotten our crab cakes. How much more when we feel forgotten by God? God didn't just forget your crab cakes. He forgot you. That's what it feels like, at least. That's what David feels like. How long will you hide your face from me? 
feels like God's not even looking at me anymore. If the ironic benediction in Numbers, right? The Lord bless you and keep you, Lord, make his face to shine upon you. Right? When God looks upon us, it means the blessing of God is there. But if God turns his face away, it means that there's no hope left for us. It means that God has abandoned us. And the worst feeling is to feel like your father has turned his face away. With my son Elijah's newfound obsession with rescue bots, which are basically a child's version of Transformers, he's constantly transforming these things from their robot version into their vehicular version. And so he always wants to show me the new thing that he's learned. Daddy, look at blades transform into a helicopter, right? Blades, right? Helicopters, so cool. Daddy, look at heat wave, the fire engine. So one time he really wanted to show me how heat wave goes from a robot in disguise to becoming a fire engine. And so he's saying, Daddy, look. And at the time he wanted me to, to look, I was, I was doing something on my phone and, and I was looking at it. And so he said, Daddy, look. And I said, okay, Elijah, I'm looking. He's like, watch, he's a robot now, but watch. And so as he's like figuring it out, I'm like doing this. And he's like, daddy, watch. I said, I, daddy's watching. He's like, no, you're not watching. I said, no, I'm watching. He's like, daddy, daddy, watch. Look what, ha- look what. So he, this is what he does. He, he takes my head and he turns my face. He says, daddy, watch me because he wants me to look at him. He wants daddy's face to be upon the thing that he's doing because the worst feeling for him is to feel like, I'm doing something I want dad to see, but he turns his face away. And this is what David is feeling. And maybe some of you feel that way. I feel like my prayers just fall to the ground. My songs don't even reach the ceiling of this room. I feel like God's turned his face away. Verse 2, how much longer do I wrestle with my thoughts? You notice we do this sometimes. When our problems are going on for a long time and it feels like God has forgotten us or he's turned his face from us, we begin thinking in our own minds about all the stuff that's going on and, and we chew on our negativity over and over and over again. When we do this with the right thing, it's called meditation. When we do this with the wrong thing, it's called worry. And our pain and our problems are simply a pill to swallow that we trust God that he's going to use it for our good. But when we take that medicine and we begin to chew it, it leads to bitterness and anger. And this is what we do. We chew on the problem. We turn it over in our head. We think about how forsaken I am. And it leads to anguish of soul. And the last thing he says, well, he says, in that every day have sorrow in my heart. When we're chewing on our problems, does that not lead to sorrow in your heart? Okay, think about why some of us are so sad and so discouraged and so disillusioned and feel like we're so abandoned because we're chewing on these thoughts, these negative thoughts, and we feel like I can't go on any longer. And then in verse 2, the end, how long will my enemy triumph over me? He says, I feel like a loser. How much longer do I need to feel like a loser? And whatever that situation is that you find yourself struggling with, you'll think, you'll think you're a loser there. You know what? I can't get my mental life together. I'm, I'm, just a, I'm just a loser. Spiritually, I stink. Emotionally, I stink. You know what? I can't deal with my family. I can't deal with my finances. I must be a terrible parent. 
I must stink at this thing called being a dad. I must stink at this thing called being a mom. I, I, I'm messing up and, and I didn't get into the, the school or the job that I want to get in. And we begin chewing on our thoughts. We begin to feel like a loser. You know what? Maybe I just stink at life. When a short-term pain becomes a long-term problem, we begin to lose strength. And this is what's happening with David. I don't think I can go on any longer. He's on his face. So what do we do? The second thing that we see starting in, in, in verse 3, the second thing, change begins when we move from our face to our knees. Okay, I know. You say that all the time, right? We have to pray. That's always the answer. I, I know we know this, right? But can I... Can we be honest? Like, do we really do this, though? Listen, we can preach a million sermons about prayer, but do we actually pray? If not, same song, second verse, third verse, week in, week out, we're going to be struggling with the same old things every week, every day, because we don't do the things that we know we ought to do. Okay, so if in your mind you're saying, okay, I've heard this again, I'm going to tune out, Just hang with us for a little bit. Verse 3, look on me and answer, O Lord my God. There's a change in David. He moves from his face to his knees and he says, God, there's got to be something. There's got to be something that you can do. No longer is he playing with these thoughts in his mind. He moves to this place of prayer. You've got million dollar questions of how long, O Lord, How long will I have to deal with this situation? Here's your $1 answer. Pray. I know that. I want something more. But have you done that? Right? I know. I I pray. I pray. But listen, what is the, like, how many, how many, you add up all the minutes of prayer in your life. And you add up that great burden in your life. Does it even measure up? How much do we pray in a given week? Uh, I, I pray five minutes a day, 30 minutes a week. You think that's enough to fight against these things that torment your soul? Jesus said to his disciples, in one day, could you not keep watch and pray with me for one hour? See, our problem, the reason why we're such spiritual anemics is because we haven't learned to wrestle in prayer. Because we're okay being where we are at the end of the day. Listen, that's our deal. At the end of the day, we're okay being where we are. Change only begins when the pain to change, when the pain to stay the same outweighs the pain that it takes to change. When it gets to the point where I can do nothing more, I need to move to prayer, that's when change actually happens. And again, maybe there's only five of us in here that will hear. But listen, can I tell you something? Where you go with your problem is going to define who you are. Some of us will go to our friends. And we're going to complain to our friends. And for a moment, it's going to be helpful. But listen, at the end of the day, your friends can't fix these problems in your life. And you're going to become frustrated and bitter and disillusioned. Why? Because you're going to be looking to your friends to do what only God can do. Your friends weren't meant to fix the how long issue and to give you an endurance and a strength that they can't give you. And you're going to hate your friends. You know what? My friends stink. I talk to them all the time, but they don't help me. I talk to them. They say they're going to pray for me, but nothing changes. I hate my friends. 
and then you get back into this vicious spiral, I'm a loser. Because your friends weren't meant to deal with these issues in your life. They can help you, but at the end of the day, we need to go to the place where we can be helped. The throne of unending grace. Others of us, we take these things and we go to ourselves. I'm not going to tell anybody else. I'm going to deal with it in my own mind. And you start turning it over, turning it over, turning it over, and you become depressed because all you're doing is replaying these thoughts in your own head and you're wrestling with your own mind. And it leads you to a place of sadness and despair because you weren't meant to handle these issues on your own. If God wants to do something in a person, remember, David is most likely writing this before he's become king, and God wants to make a man out of him. Listen, if you're going to be the king over a vast domain of my people, you're going to need to get over this how long and stop feeling sorry for yourself because you've got people that you've got to lead. Right, here's our deal. We've got to stop and get, get through this and go to our knees in prayer. Where do you take your how long complaints to? Are you just wrestle with them in your own mind? You just huff and puff and sigh and groan and get upset? Take it out on other people? Right, some of us, we explode like a bomb. Others of us, we, like Chernobyl, begin to spew out on the people around us. And nobody wants to be around us. We wonder, where are my friends? Because... There's a better way. There's a better way to deal with these things. When David says, look on me and answer, O Lord my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. Here's what he's saying. Light in the eyes of a Hebrew person meant you've got life. If your eyes are dim, your eyes are dull, it means that you're on the brink of death. Here's what David is saying. He's saying, God, I'm about to die. The, the light in my eyes is about to go out. The, my eyes are about to close. I don't think I can make it anymore. I don't think I can make it any further. I don't think I could go another day. I don't think I could go another step. If you don't answer me, then I'm gone. It's over. See ya. I don't want to be ya. It's done. And this is what God often does. He brings us to places where we have nowhere else to go so that we call out to God in desperation. Listen, if you haven't cried out in desperation, if it doesn't matter enough to you to cry out to God for, then why should he care about it if you don't even care about it? Obviously, God cares more than we know and more than we do. But think about it. That's why God constantly is moved by desperation throughout the Bible. Not by, uh, if God answers, he answers. If not, I'll just figure it out. I'll just go and, 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 and play my way out of this feeling. I'll just go and I'll eat my way out of this feeling. I'll just go and I'll talk to my friends and for a moment they'll give me relief and tomorrow I'll deal with my pain tomorrow. He's saying, no, no, no. There's a, <laughs> it doesn't have to be like that. It doesn't have to be like that. Thing. When you feel the burn of desperation within you and it drives you to God, change begins when you go from your face to your knees. Many kids, most kids, our kids, at least all of them, uh, don't really like bedtime too much. And so our oldest is six, Manny. She doesn't always like sleeping. And so she tries to prolong the time that she's awake until she has to go to sleep. And she does whatever she can to do that. Sometimes she'll be in her room and she'll want to come out because mom and dad are out in the living room or because we're somewhere else and she'll start crying, a fake cry. She'll say, my uh, back is itchy. I need someone to scratch my back. 
my, oh, it's too hot in my room. I need someone to fan me. It's so, it's so dark in here. I'm lonely because Elise is not with me. Whatever it is, and she'll cry. And one solitary fake tear will come down her cheek. And we'll look at her with utmost love. Manny, go back to your room. Go to sleep. She'll say, why? Because we know you're faking it. Just go to sleep. Say, ah, and she'll huff and puff and smoke coming out of her ears. She'll go to her room and sleep. Last week, I was with Elijah in his room. He was laying down trying to sleep. Manny was in her room, and Olivia was in the kitchen with Elise. And all of a sudden, this howling cry comes from Manny's room. And Elijah sits up, and he says, Daddy, let's go help Manny. (laughs) I say, okay, Elijah, I think she needs help. And as we're getting out of the bed, we hear Olive running from the kitchen. Manny, Manny, Manny. And then a few seconds behind, Elise. Manny, Manny, <laughs> Manny. And so by the time Elijah and I get into Manny's room, Olive and Elise are there comforting Manny. I say, what happened? And Elise says, Manny is crying. <laughs> I said, thank you, Elise, thank you. She's crying. And Olive says, Manny, when she lay down to sleep, bumped her head against some part of the wall, and she had this big bruise, and she's crying, and she's crying. And we thought, what is it that made all of our family members run into the room when every night Manny cries? But we don't lift a finger to help her. In fact, we tell her to go back to her room. What was different about this that happened last week? There was a cry of desperation that moved us to want to alleviate the suffering of the one who was crying. We know when the cry is just, if you come, that would be nice, but I don't really need you. Versus if you don't come, I'm in big trouble. The Father in heaven is moved by desperation also. Have you been moved to that place? How long, O Lord, if you don't come, I don't think I can make it. And so David moves. The last thing that we see is that here's what prayer does. Prayer restores perspective and allows us us to praise. In verse 5, there's almost this defiance. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. The tenor of the whole psalm changes. And you can see it in every two verses. First, it's like a despair. I'm in the down and the dumps. He moves from his face to his knees. Lord, answer me. And finally, he's where he wants to be. He's on his feet praising God says, God, I'm here. I trust in you. There's a sense in which he says, I choose to. Nothing has changed in his circumstances between verse 1 and verse 5. That he's still in the thick of this how long, O Lord, prayer. Nothing has changed. But what happened is he's regained perspective again. He's able to see again. He's able to see God again. And he realizes that I'm not 
in it all by myself. There is a defiant attitude because prayer at its essence is a rebellion against the way that things are. David Wells, prayer is a rebellion against the status quo. There's something in life that we don't like, something in our world that we don't like. Praying is rising up in defiant rebellion against that, saying this is not the way it ought to be. And we rise up and we fight against that. And that's what David is doing. Are you so sick and tired of your present situation that you rise up with a defiant rebellion against the way that things are in your life? That you're willing to go to your knees in prayer for it. And if, if you're not, then we're not going to experience the power of God in our lives. Right? There's no qualms about it. If all we're doing is just walking along praying and, and everything is good. And Lord, if you do this for me, it would be great. And, and, and if you don't, that's fine. Unless there's a desperate defiance against the way that things are, we're not going to see the answers to prayer the way that we long to see the answers to prayer. We won't realize God for who he is. But something happens on the way to prayer, through prayer, at the, in verse, in verse uh, 3. It says, look on me and answer me, O Lord, my God. In the beginning, it was just simply, how long, O Lord? But something changes where God begins to get personal again to David. He's not just God out there. He says, O Lord, my God. And a perspective change begins to happen. When you pray, do you have the sense that the ear of your God is on you? Not just God out there, God of billions of people, but my God, your God. You only have that if you've got faith in Christ. And through Christ, you've given up your life and surrendered to him to become a child of God. Then you have the ear of the Father. When we pray, man, I tell you so many times... there are times where I wake up in the morning and I'm like, dude, I don't want to face the things I have to face today. So many things on the to-do list, so many things to, to and, and I, I, I know each morning when I wake up, here are the people that I've got to meet, here are the things that they're dealing with, here are the things that I've got to get done, here are the things on my checklist, here's a, the, the amount of time that I've got. I feel overwhelmed and sometimes I just want to stay in bed. But as soon as I fall to the place of, of prayer, I begin to pray, and I begin to pray through the day. Lord, this meeting I've got with him, this meeting I've got with her, I surrender this to you. Lord, would you shine a light into their minds? Would you shine a light into their hearts? Would you bring illumination and wisdom in order that your good purpose would be accomplished in their lives? And begin to pray through. This is the message that I've got to write. This is the, this is the, the teaching that I've got to prepare for our teachers. This is the mission stuff we've got. To, whatever it is that I pray through the day, and then in that place, perspective begins to change. The presence of God begins to come. When, when Jesus prayed, right, when he prayed uh, at his baptism, it said, heaven opened, the spirit of God came, and the voice of the Father spoke. I feel like that's what happens in that place of prayer. Heaven opens up, and all of the resources of the God had begun pouring into my heart. Say, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. Whatever may it happen today, whatever I face today, I begin to realize I'm not going at it alone. That the overcomer is within me and therefore I'm an overcomer in Christ. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. There is nothing that I face that I'll not be overcome with the power of God. By the time I get up from prayer, I'm ready to run through a brick wall. Like whatever, man, bring it on. 
And I'm going to go in the power of God. Run through a wall for Jesus. That's what happens when we pray. I was talking with someone this week. They sent me a message, said, hey, can we, can we get together this time to talk? There's some real hard stuff going on in my life. I said, yeah, would love to do that. Love to do that. Talked with the person the next day. They said, you know what? After spending time in prayer, I feel so much better. Like there's this sense of just calm and peace and, and, and I see clearly again. Yeah, that's what happens when we pray. That's what happens. God gives us perspective, allows us to arise in praise and in worship to our God. See, one of the things that we realize, every great man, every great woman of God that he wants to use is going to ask these questions. But it's what you do with that question that's going to determine your greatness in the kingdom of God. And what do you do when you ask how long, oh Lord? Where do you go? And so many of us just beat ourselves up. So many of us go to things that aren't going to fix but what would it look like if we arose by falling on our knees in prayer? Say, God, I'm coming after you. And realize that he's been chasing after us by bringing us to this place of prayer. What would it look like if our prayer meetings, our prayer closets were full of people longing with a desperation to seek the heart in the face of God? What would it look like for our hope, our future? We realize that we're a nation at a crossroads, at a desperate place. How desperate are we? Desperate enough to argue and debate, but are we desperate enough to fight in prayer, to rebel against the status quo in our nation? Because here's our reality. Whether you think you feel this or not, the reality is that this is the universal human experience, that every single person is going to ask, how long, O Lord? At one point or another. Even Jesus? Even Jesus. You think Jesus ever felt like the sorrow was too much for him to bear? He said, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. Think Jesus ever felt like he couldn't go on any longer. Hebrews 5 says he cried out with loud cries and with tears as he petitioned God. You think he ever wondered what it was like to have the father turn his face away from him? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The universal human experience is how long, oh God, and there's only one place we can go. Where do you go? Here's why we can know that we can go to this God because he cried the same thing and he understands what we feel. In John Stott's great book, The Cross of Christ, I, wanna, uh, I just want to point out something that he says. It's great, but if you never read it, Cross of Christ by John Stott, he says, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who is immune to it? It's a universal condition. But our God, is he immune to it? I have entered many Buddhist temples and stood respectfully before the statue of the Buddha. His legs crossed, arms folded, eyes closed, a ghost of a smile playing round his mouth, a remote look on his face, detached from the agonies of this world. 
But each time after a while, I have to turn away. And in my imagination, I have turned instead to that lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross. Nails through hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding from thorn pricks, mouth dry and intolerably thirsty, plunged in God forsaken darkness. This is the God for me. This is the God for me. The God for the broken. The God of the broken. The God who was broken. That he was forgotten so that the face of the Father would always be turned because of the cross towards us. He was the one forgotten so that we would never be forgotten. And the promise of God is that for everyone who asks this question, how long, O Lord, the hope of cross, the hope of the gospel, the reason we can say how great is your unfailing love is because our trouble and sorrow will one day fail, but his love will always go further than our failures. His love will never abandon us, no matter what you feel, no matter what you fear, no matter what you face. There was in Irvine, California, a few years back, a plot of land right off I-5, 30 acres of land that was being in an all-out nasty bidding war between a church and a Kia dealership. And they were bidding, price was rising up, and at the end, the Kia dealer said, whatever the church offers, we will pay a million dollars more. Whatever the church offers, no matter how far it goes, we're going to go further. It can't win. And David is saying, however long my trial, my pain, my trouble, my hardship is, it cannot win. Because the unfailing love will always go further. He says, this is how you, if you're in this how long, O Lord, place, you can move to how great is our God. That's the movement that God wants us to make. Moving from our face to our knees to our feet to sing how great is our God. Let's pray. My friends, I hope you don't just see this as another sermon call. I need to pray. But what are you going to do? What are you going to do? with your how long feeling? What are you going to do you feel like you can't go on anymore? What are you going to do you feel like you're at the end of your rope? Where are you going to turn? Who are you going to call? Are you going to go to God? He understands. So just put your hands in mine. Still pierced with nails. You'll see you realize that I'm the God of the broken, the God of the suffering, the God in times of need. Can we make a commitment, especially, guys, if you are in this place of how long, O oh Lord, can you make a commitment that you will fight to create that space in your schedule, in your life, to pray? And listen, if you're not in this place, you one day soon will be. 
It is a universal condition. And the more you pray now, the more you will be able to pray then. Learn the habit of prayer. Can we make a commitment to the Lord God? Say, Lord, I'm going to bring my how long feelings to you. I need you. Lord, I need you. God, I'm desperately in need of you. Help me, Lord God. Let's pray. Can we do that? Let's pray for a couple moments, committing our hearts to God, committing our lives to the Lord God, committing our situations to the Lord. If that means you cry out right now, how long, O oh Lord, then let's do that. Let's live out this message. Let's live out this teaching in faith. Let's pray for a couple moments and I'll pray for us. And we'll continue to worship and respond to the Lord God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I know that uh, every time we gather as a people of God, many of us come with a pool of tears next to us. Some of them are ready to, to just come out at the mention of a word, of a name, of a situation. For others of us, we've buried those tears so deep down underneath hardness, underneath pain, underneath worldly ways of medicating, through sex, through alcohol, through blaming other people, through playing games, through escaping, through TV shows, to mindless, thoughtless escape. Father, we know the reality that underneath these masks there's a lot of pain and a lot of hurt and a lot of it been going on for a long time. So Father, today we pray that today would be a new day where we move from our face to our knees. Instead of just crying out how long to nobody in general, we would cry out how long to you. That we would find hope. That we would find strength. That we would find perspective. That we would find worship. We would find delight in you again. To know that you've never turned away from us. You've never forgotten us. That you've never forsaken us. You've never abandoned us. You're right here. The moment we call turn around to you. You're there always having been. So Lord, help us. Teach us. For those in this place, teach us to pray for our situations. For those not, teach us to pray for those who are. And for all of us, teach us to pray so that we might be ready for when this psalm becomes our own. Thank you for loving us. 
thank you for taking our place at Calvary so that we can have hope that we will never be abandoned. In Jesus' name we pray.